Heavenly Father, we recognise that we are strangers on this earth. And so we ask that you would help us by sending your spirit to us now and filling us so that we are guided by your word as we walk through this world to the precious home that we have in glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians, and uh, the Apostle Paul has been encouraging the church in Philippi to be unified, to contend as one man for the sake of the gospel, and he's even been warning in chapter 3 of the disunity that can come through people who he labels as dogs. Uh, We saw that in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 3, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Uh, These are people who bite and cause disorder by encouraging people to trust in their own righteousness. Uh, But the Apostle Paul, he speaks of the righteousness that he had previously, but he has given it up. He used to keep the law meticulously, uh, but he has given it up. He has counted it as loss. Uh, He has considered it a debt, really, in comparison to the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's what we saw last time we looked at Philippians 3 together, that he considers that the righteousness of Christ is superior by far to his righteousness, as good as it was. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 3, look with me now. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So the Apostle Paul rejoices in the righteousness that he has through Christ Jesus, uh, that he has by faith in Christ Jesus. He has this righteousness that saves him. Now, does the Apostle Paul have any problems then? Is he quite happy all the time? Well, he does have problems. What is his problem? What is the Apostle Paul's problem as he writes this letter? Well, his big problem is that he's still on earth, that he's still on earth. And why is that a problem? Because he does not know Christ the way he would like to know Christ. We see that in verse 10. What does he say in verse 10? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. There is still much of the Lord Jesus Christ that he wants to know, that he is lacking in. And he doesn't just lack knowledge of Jesus Christ while he's here on earth. He also has not been raised to life. He does not know the power of the resurrection. He says that in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. While Paul is still in this world, he is not raised to life. He is still in a body that dies, that is decaying around him. And so he wants to know the power of the resurrection. And he's got another problem. What is his problem? Because he is on earth? Well, it is that he is not perfect. Verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, referring to knowing Christ and the resurrection, or have already been made perfect he recognises that he still struggles with sin. While he is on earth, he is not a perfect person. He still has the flesh there, and he still makes mistakes each day. He still sins against his God. And so the Apostle Paul knows the tension of what we call eschatology, the last times. He knows the tension of living in the last days whilst on earth, whilst yet anticipating heaven. That is the tension that we face as Christians. 
much of heaven can be realized now in this world. How so? Well, we do know Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ. Does that mean he doesn't know anything of Christ? No, of course he knows Christ Jesus. He's met Christ Jesus. He's heard Christ Jesus, and he's read about Christ Jesus in the Scriptures. He knows Christ Jesus, and he tells us that we know Christ Jesus. And the other apostles tell us the same thing as well. The Apostle Peter, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, the Lord Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We love him. We, are, we have faith in him. So, of course, we know him. There's this now that we experience of heaven on earth. It is a knowledge, a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. How else do we experience heaven now on earth? Well, we are raised to life in one sense. Jesus himself says in John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. If you believe in the Son, you have eternal life now. Death is not a scary proposition for a Christian who trusts in Christ Jesus. They know that they have eternal life and death is a doorway by which they go into the next stage of their eternal life. And of course, we have life now in the spiritual life that we experience. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. We were once dead, but now we have been made alive with Christ. We have experienced resurrecting power even now in this world by being brought out of the deadness of sins. And, of course, that resurrecting power is still at work in all Christians. The Apostle Paul prays that the church in Ephesus would know that power. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I want you to know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants the church, the Apostle Paul wants the church in Ephesus to know the incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, what is that power? Well, the Apostle Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in believers. And the Apostle Paul wants the church in Ephesus to understand that. So, of course, while we're on earth, we know we have many of the blessings of heaven. We know something of Jesus Christ. We know something of the resurrecting power in our lives. And, of course, we know that we are holy, that we are perfect in Christ Jesus. We are made righteous. The Apostle Paul has been speaking about the righteousness that we have by faith in Christ Jesus. We are sanctified. We are called holy. We're called saints. We have what we call positional or definitive sanctification. When God looks at us in Christ's robes of righteousness, we are holy. We are perfect before God. That is why we can dare to come to him in prayer. Is because we have a perfection, a positional sanctification before God. So we have this tension, though, because we have many of the blessings of heaven now, but there's also many of the blessings of heaven that are not yet. There's a not yet. There is still much to come. We don't know Christ as we would like to know him. That's what the Apostle Paul is speaking about when he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. He says in 
uh, Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. What we know of Christ is true and accurate, it's, but it's in a mirror. One day we will see face to face. That is a not yet. That is yet to come. What else is a not yet? Well, it's what the Apostle Paul has spoken about, about being resurrected. He wants to know the power of the resurrection. Yes, we are resurrected in one sense from our sin. We have God's resurrecting power at work in us to do good. But we want a resurrection body. That's a not yet. We don't have it yet. A body that doesn't feel pain, that doesn't die, that doesn't suffer. And, of course, we want the not yet of perfect sanctification. We still experience the flesh, the sinful nature. We still sin against God. We are being progressively sanctified even as we are positionally sanctified. Even as we are holy in Christ, we still sin. And we are longing for that day when sin will be an impossibility for the people of God. It is possible for us now not to sin, incredibly. It is possible for you to do good as a Christian, but it is still possible for you to do wrong. And we yearn for the day when we will be completely sanctified, perfectly sanctified, and it will be an impossibility for us to sin. And so this is the tension that the Christian faces, the tension where we have not yets, but we have nows, and we're in this tension that is there. So what is our response to this tension? How do we respond? Well, we've got to avoid dangers. What are the dangers? Well, there's basically two real dangers that we have to avoid. One is about having, we should be careful not to have an under-realised eschatology, an under-realised eschatology. And what I'm saying is that the the, the blessings of heaven, they can be realised now. And I've outlined what those are. But we can have an under-realised eschatology where we leave too much for not yet and we don't take enough for now. What does that look like? Well, where people say that knowledge of God is impossible. False teachers will say this. God is so other that we cannot know him really in this world. He's so far beyond us. That's not true. We can know God in this world. It would be an under-realised eschatology if we left all things about knowledge of God to heaven. What else can we have if we've got an under-realised eschatology? We can claim that we have no life now, that we're weak beings now, that God's resurrecting power is not at work in us because we haven't been raised to life with a resurrection body. And so we can have an under-realised eschatology by not leaning on the Lord as we should by not recognising that wonderful promise in 2 Corinthians 13, uh, 12, which says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yes, we are weak, but we have a resurrecting power in us. And then another way that we can have under-realised eschatology is by saying that we don't need to worry about sanctification. We don't need to worry about being holy. Holiness, that's for the next world. And we can be antinomian, anti-law here, because we just give up and say, Oh, look, I'm not a holy person, I'll just accept it, and I'll wait to be holy in heaven. That's an under-realised eschatology. But then the other danger, at the other end of the spectrum, you can have an under-realised eschatology where you don't take many of the blessings that we can have now from heaven. An over-realised eschatology is at the other end of the spectrum, where you over-realise the things of heaven and you want them now when they're not yours now. What does an over-realised eschatology look like? Well, we want 
greater knowledge of Jesus than he will give us now. We may even want to see Jesus face to face. There's someone in the, the, the Gospels who's like that. One of the apostles was like that. What did he want? Apostle Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. He wanted knowledge that he did not have at that point. And what did Jesus say to him when he graciously showed himself to the Apostle Thomas? He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We cannot say, I need to see Jesus physically face to face as I will see him in heaven if I am to believe. That's an over-realisation of the eschatology that we're in, the last times that we are in. How else can we want heaven now? Have an over-realised eschatology? Well, it's by demanding the effects of the resurrecting power before we have them. And this can come particularly in the area of healings. We want that resurrection body now. We want a body that does not feel pain, that does not suffer, that does not die even. We want longevity of life. And we want it now. But much of that is for heaven. Yes, of course, God can heal our bodies in this world. Yes, yes, and we should pray for healing. We should pray that people overcome fatal illnesses. But we cannot demand it. That's an over-realised eschatology. The true healing that comes is when we arrive in heaven. And another way that we can have an over-realised eschatology is by this idea of perfectionism now, that we can be completely holy now, that we can actually achieve a state where I won't sin anymore. And this is taught by some people, that they say, I don't sin anymore. As a Christian, I've got to the point where I no longer sin. What is that? That's an over-realised eschatology. That's something that is reserved for heaven that you're saying you have now. And there are people like that. All you've got to do is keep prodding them about something and it'll eventually tick them off and they'll get angry and then they sin. But there are people out there who are like that. It's a famous story about the preacher Spurgeon. He met someone like that. He threw a cup of water in their face and they, they blew their lid. And he said, there you go. You're not perfect anymore. But there's people like that out there who teach a perfectionism now, but it's an over-realised eschatology. So we need to live in this tension. We need to live in a tension where there's things that are to come, but there's things now. And what is the illustration that the Apostle Paul uses for this, this tension that we face? Well, it's the tension of an athlete in a race. It's the tension of an athlete in a race. And we get that in verses 12 and following in Philippians chapter 3. How does he describe himself? Well, in verse 12, he says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's got this idea of pressing that is used for athletes and taking hold of grasping something. And in verse 13, how does he describe himself? Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the Christian life. It's a life of straining, of pressing on, of grasping, taking hold of what is to come. And this is because we experience much of heaven now. We know Christ. We know his resurrecting power in us. And we know that we are sanctified but we're also desiring the not yet. We're reaching out for the not yet. We want to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
We want to know Christ better. We want to see him face to face. Get away with the mirror. I want him face to face. I want to be sinless, not sinning anymore. I want to be raised to life, to have that perfect resurrection body. So how do we run this race? This is what we're called to. And it's a tension that's there, that's hard. How do we run this race to live a life of tension, of wanting more whilst also having much? How do we run it? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to forget what is behind as we run this race. If we are to yearn for the things of heaven and not have that under-realized eschatology, if we are to yearn for the things of heaven and to look for them, we are to forget what is behind. And we see that in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. If a runner runs looking backwards, is he going to get very far? Is he going to win the race if he runs always looking behind him? The answer is, of course, no. Running backwards means you tend to stumble and fall, as well as not going very quickly. And this is what we need to remember as Christians. We cannot be looking behind as we run our race. Now, what would we be tempted to look at as we run the race that is before us? What would we be tempted to remember rather than forget? Well, one thing that we often like to remember is past sins, things that we've done, that we're grieved about, that we feel guilty about. But Paul wasn't going to get hung up on his past life. And he was someone who, he admitted, he persecuted the church. We see that in verse, verse 6 of Philippians chapter 3. As for zeal, persecuting the church. I used to persecute the people that I now consider brothers and sisters in Christ. How does he move on from that? He forgets it. He forgets it. He knows that if he keeps on going round and round in his head about his persecution of the church, he won't get very far. If he remains guilty all the time about it and depressed about it, he won't get very far. And that's what an athlete does. Does an athlete dwell on his past failures? Does he dwell all the time on his failures? No. Why? Because he'll be demoralised and scared to run again. So he pushes them to one side and he focuses on the race that is now. And it's the same with the Christian. A Christian doesn't dwell on past sins why? Because otherwise he'll be demoralized and depressed and he won't move forward in his life as he longs towards heaven. And what other sins do we forget? Well, it's the current sins, not just the past sins, but the current temptations and sins, the worldly distractions that are around us. The athlete, he doesn't add athleticism to his current lifestyle, does he? If someone wants to be an athlete, they don't say, I'm going to do it for an hour a week. I'm just going to add that on to what I currently do. No, he revolutionises his whole life. He drops his old lifestyle and he adopts a new lifestyle. That's what the serious athlete does. And that's what the Christian does. He doesn't add God to his current lifestyle. He understands that he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And that's what we need to do. We need to forget about the old lifestyle. And the temptations that we face now and focus on the new lifestyle and the race that is before us. And what else would the Apostle Paul want to forget? Well, he'd want to forget his past sorrows and pains. If an athlete is always thinking about his old injuries, will he get very far in his current race? No, because he'll be mistrusting his body. He will be 
so concerned that something's going to happen that he won't run the race that is before him. And it's the same with the Christian. If he's always caring for his wounds and and the sufferings that have come to him and always thinking about them, he won't do much either. Whereas the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. He's able to move on from the difficulties that he has as he looks towards the goal. And what else should we forget? The Apostle Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. What does he forget? He forgets his past sins, forgets the current sins that are over there. He forgets his current sorrows and pains. What else does he forget? We forget our past achievements. An athlete relying on his past trophies for success and glory, he won't last long in his current race. If he walks up to the race thinking, oh, I've got, a whole ward, uh, I've got a whole mantelpiece of trophies at home, everyone should know I'm going to win this. If he's relying on those past trophies to get him through this current race, he's not going to get far. And it's the same with the Christian. If he is concentrating on all his previous victories, and he may have true victories, he's been able to fight sin and overcome it. If he's concentrating on those instead of what is currently before him, He's in danger. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You think you're standing firm. You've got so many victories. Be careful that you don't fall. This is the tension that we face. Not yet. Now. Yearning for it. And how do we overcome it? It's by forgetting what is behind. Past sins current worldly distractions that are before us, pains, sorrows, sufferings, even achievements. You say, it is hard to forget about those things. It's hard to ignore those distractions. It's hard to live in tension. Why? Well, Satan, people, my own mind, they like to remind me of my sins, my past sins. It's hard to forget sins that I've done, particularly, particularly grievous sins that even the world admits are wrong. It's hard. They come up in my mind. Other people bring them up with me. It's hard to move on. It would have been so hard for the Apostle Paul to move on from his persecution of the church. And it's also hard to forget the distractions of pain and suffering. Pain is loud in our bodies. When we suffer, it really hurts. And it's hard to move on from it, to forget what is going on in our lives and to yearn for the heaven that is to come. And it's hard to forget the distractions like the achievements in our lives. We kind of like the achievements. We like our victories over particular things. We like to get a certificate for every time we do something right. It's hard to forget those. So how do we do it? How do we forget what is behind? So we strain to what is to come. Well, how does the athlete do it? How does the athlete forget the distractions? How does he forget his old lifestyle, which he cherished the bad eating, the lazy lifestyle. How does he forget that and move on? How does he forget about old injuries and focus on the race before? What does he do? Well, he focuses his mind on something else. What does he focus his mind on? He focuses his mind on the goal, the medal, the prize money, the glory. And he knows then that if he sets his mind, the body will follow where he set his mind. 
That's what one of the personal trainers at the gym he has on his poster. He says, set your mind and the body will follow. And he's, he loves to talk about it being a, a, the, the biggest battle is the mind. It's not your body, it's the mind. And it's true. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying even here. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, that's not what he does really, forgetting what is behind, that's what's the result of what he does, what does he do? And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Christians, what do they need to do in order to forget about the distractions, forget about sin, forget about worldly attractions, forget about past achievements, forget about even bodily pain and suffering? What do they need to do? They need to focus their mind on the goal. One thing, the goal. And what is the goal? Well, it's being made perfect in heaven. Sanctification, being made completely holy, never to sin again. That's one of our goals. What's another goal? Resurrection body. I want to be raised to life. That's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 11. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That is the goal. What was the other goal that the Apostle Paul had? We saw that he, he, he talks about perfection. He talks about being raised to from the dead. But what does he say in verse 10 at the head of the list? Verse 10, I want to know Christ. That's his goal. I want to know Jesus Christ. That is the goal. After all, why do we want to be resurrected from the dead? So we can be with Jesus to see him face to face. Why do we want to be made holy? Why do we want it to be an impossibility to sin ever again? So that we can please Jesus. So that we can approach Jesus in a perfect holiness and see him. That is the goal. The goal is not ultimately sanctification. The goal is ultimately not resurrection. The goal is seeing Christ, knowing Christ in a way that we don't know him here on earth. I want to be raised to life so that I can go and be with him. That is the goal. And so if we want to forget the distractions, forget what is behind, and we want to run the race that is before us, we need to focus our minds on what? On Jesus Christ. Now, how does that happen? How do we know Jesus? Well, the first thing we've got to understand is we know Jesus by faith. We know Jesus by faith. You cannot know Jesus unless we repent of our sins and trust in him. And that only comes by the Holy Spirit granting us faith, granting us repentance, granting us faith in Jesus Christ. We can only take hold of Jesus how? By him taking hold of us first. And that's what we read in the text. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this, resurrection, uh, knowing Christ, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It starts with Christ taking hold of you. If you want to know Jesus Christ, then you need to repent of your sins and trust in him. You will not know him otherwise. You will continue to reject knowledge of him. You need to know him by trusting in him. And of course, the way that we understand anything of Christ Jesus, the way that faith begins, the way that peace, faith is wrought within our hearts is by his word. And so if you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to have the focus in your life of heaven, then you need to read the word. You need to read about Jesus in the word. You need to hear the word preached and explained like we're experiencing this morning. You need to read books about the word. 
This is how you focus your mind, is by learning about Jesus in the Word. And then another way that we have our focus upon Jesus, that we can know about Jesus, is, of course, speaking to him in prayer. If you speak to him, you learn about him as you speak, and, of course, he graciously answers those prayers. You adore him in prayer. You confess your sin. You thank him for the things that he has done, and you ask him for things. And they all help teach you as those prayers are answered about the one who you love. And, of course, how else can you know Christ, have your focus upon him? Was well, by building relationships with other athletes, with other Christians who keep reminding us of Christ Jesus. Athletes inspire other athletes, don't they? As they get together, they talk about the race, they talk about the goal, they talk about the prize money and what they're going to do with the prize money. If athletes get together and talk about the weather, they're not going to do much in their race. And it's the same with Christians. Are you surprised that you don't feel much motivation to know Christ Jesus when you don't associate with other Christians? Can you be surprised when you don't feel much motivation to know Christ when you don't associate with other Christians? And if you do associate with other Christians, you just talk about the weather. You don't talk about the prize. You don't talk about Jesus. You don't talk about heaven. You don't speak about his word. So, of course, you're not motivated. You're not focused. It's not surprising. That's the case if we don't associate with other Christians. And how else can we know Christ Jesus? We know him by faith. We know him by his word. We know him by speaking to him in prayer. We know by building relationships with other Christians, spending time at a local church. We also know him in general revelation. It's wonderful that as you look around the world, you understand something of the goodness of Christ Jesus. You understand something of his power, his eternal qualities. They manifest in all of creation. And you can enjoy your work. You can enjoy your family. You can enjoy your recreations, not as worldly distractions, that you need to forget and move behind. No, you can enjoy them as teaching you something about your creator. You can receive all good things from him who gives them, Jesus Christ. Is it easier then to forget the distractions by focusing on the goal, Christ Jesus? The answer has to be yes. Why does the athlete turn away in disgust from his old lifestyle of his poor eating and his laziness? Why? Because he's found a greater joy. He's found a greater joy. And what is that? It's the goal that he's after and the race that is before him. He enjoys running the race. He enjoys thinking about the goal. And so, of course, he forgets about the couch and the television and the video games. They're distractions from a greater joy that he has found. It's the same for the Christian. Why does the Christian turn away from an old lifestyle of sin and laziness? Why does he see sin as disgusting? Because he's found something of greater value, greater joy. He gets more joy in learning about Christ than sinning against Christ. And of course, why does the athlete ignore the intense pain he feels in his muscles as he runs the race? Why does he even embrace it? Why does he rejoice in the pain that he's feeling? Because he knows it's bringing him a greater joy down the track. If he wins the race, it's worth the pain, the exhaustion that he's feeling. It's the same with the Christian. As he's feeling the pain, as he's feeling the insults and persecutions and sufferings of being a Christian, he he can even enjoy them. That's what the Apostle Paul says. It's amazing what he says in 2 Corinthians 12. I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. Why? Because he has his mind on the goal. He says, for Christ's sake, I delight in these things. And it's the same for us as well. We can forget the pain. Why? 
because we know the joy of the reward that is to come. And so we forget the suffering and the pain and the insults and focus on the reward. And why does the athlete forget about his hard-won high school trophies? Why does he move on from them and focus on the new trophy? It's because he knows that the new trophy is greater. Far better to get that gold medal at the Olympics than to keep thinking about my high school running race, that medal that I got, and pretty much everyone got a medal that day anyway for participation. He thinks about that gold, and so he forgets about the participation awards. He forgets about even the gold that he got in high school. He sees them as childish. He forgets what is behind. He forgets his good achievements. They were good achievements, but he's going for the better achievement, and it's the same with the Christian. Why does a Christian forget about his past achievements, his conquering of sins that are in his life, and press on for even greater holiness and press on for that heaven? It's because he knows that that's far greater. He sees them as almost childish, like high school trophies. Okay, I moved on from that. Let's go tackle a bigger sin and overcome that one as I run the race that is before me. So yes, the tension is hard. It's hard being a Christian. There's much to come, even as we have some now. But we know the joy of heaven now and the joy of hoping for heaven. And so if we focus on Christ, we will continue to know that joy and we'll forget the things that hinder our run to heaven because we have a greater joy. And that greater joy is knowing Christ Jesus. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we praise you and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has taken hold of us, that he has called us heavenward, that he has revealed himself to us, that he has given us life, resurrecting life, and he's made us perfect. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for looking behind, for looking behind at past sins, for looking behind at lifestyles that we still love, for looking behind at our pain and suffering, for looking behind at our past achievements, and for not straining for heaven because we've got our eyes looking back. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to focus on the Lord Jesus so that we forget whatever distracts us from him and so that we long to know him more, both now and in the world to come. And we pray this in his name. Amen.